If you have a Bible with you today, I want you to find the book of Colossians. All right, find the book of Colossians. Colossians is in the second part of your Bible called the New Testament. It's almost to the end of your Bible, actually. It's right after Philippians, right before Thessalonians, and so find that. And last week, uh, we started this series of messages that we're going through the entire book of Colossians. And today, we're finishing up chapter one, and we're going to hit the first couple verses of chapter two. And this There's only four chapters in this book of Colossians, and so this is week two of six. It's only going to take us six weeks to get through this whole book. Now, we're going to do a quick overview uh, on the book of Colossians to get started, just so you have some context. If you missed last week, Pastor Kyle started this off, so make sure you go online, you check out week number one. But the book of Colossians is actually a letter. Okay, It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was an apostle and a missionary, and he traveled much of the Roman world uh, right after Jesus lived and died, okay? Right after Jesus died, Paul starts uh, doing these things maybe 15 years later. Now, this letter is written to a small group of Christians in a city called Colossae, which is how we got the name of the book Colossians, right? Um, Colossians is an ancient city in modern-day Turkey, okay? Check out this map. You'll see it on this map. It should be on your screen. Um, Up on the top, you can see where Colossae is, or right in the middle there. It's right there. Uh, You you see to the left, we have Greece, and we have Italy, right? We have all of that, and then we have Colossae. And, and, And if you look at the top part up there, you can actually see two other Uh, names that you've probably heard in the Bible. Just a little bit to the north and to the west of Colossae, you have Laodicea. The church of Laodicea was mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And then further to the west, you have Ephesus. Ephesus, of course, is um, a church that Paul, a city where Paul started a church, and he wrote a letter to them as well. We have that letter in our Bible as the book of Ephesians. Now, Paul started that church in Ephesus in 52 AD, okay? Jesus dies in 33 AD, this is 52 AD, and the Colossian church was actually an offshoot of that church in Ephesus, okay? Here's how that went down. There's a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras, we heard about him last week in in chapter 1, verse 17, or 7, sorry. He was a convert from the church in Ephesus, and then he went back to his hometown of Colossae, and he started this little church. Something interesting about this letter, Paul has never met the people in Colossae. Most of Paul's letters are to churches that he helped start. This letter is different. So we know that this church started sometime after the church in Ephesus in 52, and Paul wrote this, uh, uh, this letter while he was in prison around the year 60 AD, somewhere right around there. So that means that this church in Colossae is pretty new. Uh, it's somewhere between, I don't, we could be one years old, it could be 10 years old, we're not sure. At the very most, it was 10. And Paul writes this letter uh, at that time. That's important to remember when we think about why Paul wrote this letter. You see, when Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. He's in prison because he's been traveling the Roman world, and he's been saying, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And that's very countercultural to the time, because Caesar is Lord was a big key in this Roman empire. So they didn't like that. They threw Paul in prison. And 
Uh, this letter came about from Epaphras visiting Paul in this prison. And he's updating Paul on how the Colossians were doing overall, how well they were doing. He was saying, man, everything's going so good. They're on fire. They have so much faith. But then he also mentions there's a lot of cultural pressures around the city of Colossae from, from the pagan culture, but also from the Jewish culture. All of these things are tempting them to turn away from Jesus. So Paul writes this letter to encourage this new church in Colossae to address the temptations that are happening around them, and to challenge them to greater devotion to Jesus. That's why he writes this letter. Now, we're going to jump into our passage for this morning, and so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd love for you to stand with me as we read out of God's Word, just for res- out of respect for His Word. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24, through chapter 2, verse 5. Here we go. Paul writes this, Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Okay, remember, this is Paul talking from prison, so he says, I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. Remember that church, Laodicea, is really close by. And and, and for all of those who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There's the cultural temptations we mentioned. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He's proud of these guys. Let's pray. God, we pray that you speak to us this morning through your word. Holy Spirit, help us to get out of this exactly what you want us to get out of this. Open our hearts, guide us as we dive into this, and we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. By a show of hands, really quick, how many of you are parents? Whew, that's a lot of us. Good. Um, Aren't children great? Okay, I was hoping for a little bit more of a positive response there, but I'll take it, I'll take it, because here's what I know. Kids are great. We love them, and we love them with a different kind of love than we love anyone else, right? Like, you loved your spouse, but when you had a kid, something changed in you, and your heart was different. But the mixed response we have with children is that they are also a lot of work, and energy, and time, and money, right? We parents... 
we suffer for our children, don't we? I mean, we really do. We suffer. Um, and not only would we physically die for our children so that they could live, but we die to our own lives like every single day for those little monsters, right? Because <laughs> before kids, we did whatever we wanted to do. We, we had all these hobbies we actually spend time with our spouse and our friends. Our kids don't know this, but we used to have fun, right? Now, oh boy, you, we want to go out to eat. We don't get to go where we want to eat, do we? We don't get to go to Red Lobster. We don't get to go to Outback Steakhouse or Benihana. No, no, no. We go where the kids want to go. And why? This drives me absolutely insane. Why every single time that we want to go out to eat or the kids want to go out to eat, they always want to go to the same place. They always want to go where? McDonald's. McDonald's. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Gabs. <laughs> like, I don't get it. McDonald's. Like, why? Why do you want to go to McDonald's all the time? Okay. And then it's movie night. Forget about watching what you want to watch, right? In fact, Pastor Jeremy... <laughs> We were talking last week, and I was like, dude, have you seen this show? He's like, dude, I haven't seen a show that I've wanted to see in years. And I don't understand this either. Um, maybe I was like this. My parents are here this morning, too. Maybe you can tell me. But my kids, whenever we watch a movie, they want to watch the same movie over and over and over. You know how that is. We go over to your house, and they're like, always want to watch the same thing. I, and so a couple years ago, it was like, okay, what, do you, what movie you guys want to watch? It's like, Frozen! And I'm like, oh. Now, the movie was okay, but after you see it 30,000 times, I started to say, like, okay, get over this. You've seen it how many times? What you need to do now is you need to let it go, <laughs> right? And my kids are like, ha ha, you're so funny, Dad. But we still want to watch Frozen. It's like, Bleh. okay. But actually, all of this, it's really okay. We actually like sacrificing for the things we call children who are actually life suckers, right? Um, why? Why do we like to suffer for them? Because we love them and we want what's best for them. And maybe partially because we know that they're going to move out someday and we're going to get our lives back and then they're going to have kids and we can laugh at them when they can't even go to the bathroom without saying, Dad, Jasper hit me in the head with the lightsaber, right? <laughs> no, but for real, we love our kids. We're willing to sacrifice for them because we love them so much and we just want what's best for them. And this has relevance to our message today, I promise. And so we're going to dig into this passage of Scripture to find where this relevance is, all right? First of all, I want you to understand how the Bible was written back then versus how it is laid out for us today. See, this book of Colossians, it's a letter. Now, I don't know about you, but when I write a letter to someone, which, let's be honest, is not very often anymore. We don't write letters very much. So maybe more relevant when I write an email, a text message, or a social media something or other. I don't write headings in front of different sections of my message. And I definitely don't write numbers down to signify the chapters and the verses. Right? We don't do that when we write a letter. Well, Paul didn't do that either. Okay? Paul didn't write down headings, and he didn't write down uh, the chapter and the verse numbers. None of the Bible writers did this, actually. Um, this was actually, the, the headings and the numbers were added by the group of people who took all the letters and all the historical documents and all the poems and all of those things and put them together for us 
in one big book. Colossians was literally just a letter written to someone on a piece of paper or a a roll of parchment. It was just a, a letter scrawled out, okay? Now, why is that important? Because I want you to know that the way we're studying the book of Colossians uh, throughout this series, really we're going by heading, okay? There's different sections that are represented in your Bible. So if you open up your Bible right above 124, you're probably going to see something that says Paul's labor for the church or sacrificial service for Christ, or mine even here says... um, Yeah, mine says Paul's labor for the church, okay? So that goes all the way through to chapter 5. And so that's the heading, that's the section that we are studying today. Now, um, the way that this one section is actually structured is very interesting. It's, It's somewhat structured like a poem, okay? It's like a poem. And let me explain. When we write a poem, we would say something like, roses are red, violets are blue, the honey is sweet, and so are you right? Or, or more accurate, accurately for like my younger days, I would have been like, roses are red, violets are blue, you look like a monkey and smell like one too, right? <laughs> but, but the idea here is, um, we, in a poem, we, we say a word at the end of the first sentence, and then we say something else, and then we come back to that, that word and we rhyme it, right? So you have roses are red, violets are blue, Honey is sweet, and so are you. You start with the word, and then you rhyme it later on. Well, Paul, he does this sort of thing in this section, but not with rhyming. He does this with thoughts. He starts with a thought, he goes to another thought, and then he comes back to a parallel thought to the first thought. It's really interesting how he's got this structured. He did this very purposely. Um, And there's two verses right in the middle that are kind of our main point, and we're we're going to uh, get back to that. But I, I want to show you what this looks like here, okay? So Paul, go ahead and put that slide up for me. There it is. So Paul starts with rejoicing, okay? And then he moves on to the mystery and the wisdom of God. And we'll talk about what all this means. And then there's our main point, our two verses right in the middle. And then he goes back to the mystery and wisdom, and he ends with rejoicing. It's like this poem structure type of a thing, So we're going to look at all that in a bit and what that all means, um, especially that main verse, but I want to just kind of show you how this all plays out. So like we said, Paul starts this section with rejoicing. Now, specifically here, Paul is rejoicing in the fact that he is suffering for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Look at this. It says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, remember Paul is in prison here. And so this is part of the suffering that he's talking about. But, and this isn't even the first time Paul goes to prison. He goes to prison like two, three, four times. We're not exactly sure how many, but a lot. And besides going into prison, Uh, We also read multiple times in the Bible where Paul is tortured and beaten um, for his beliefs, for what he's sharing. And sometimes he's he's tortured and beaten by governments that don't like what he's saying. And other times he's tortured and beaten even just by the townspeople who get up in arms about different things. And Paul says, I rejoice in that suffering for you. That's crazy, right? Right? Like, I'm in prison, I've been beaten, but I rejoice. Well, it's because that God has called him to share Jesus with you, 
with all of us, right? He rejoices because he understands that his suffering is moving the kingdom of God forward. When we have that attitude, we can have, uh, we can have joy even in suffering, in pain. So first of all, this is amazing faith by Paul, um, rejoicing. And so that's the first type of rejoicing. But remember, Paul ends with rejoicing too. I want to show you that. Paul doesn't rejoice about himself, but he, he rejoices about the Colossian people. He says um, in, in chapter 2, verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight, or rejoice, to see how disciplined you are and how firm you are in uh, your faith in Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not there with you, but I've heard how disciplined you are from Epaphras. He's told me all about you and how you're living for God and how you're moving his kingdom forward. It's awesome. I rejoice for that. It's so great. He's proud of these people. They're sold out. They're on fire for God. Okay, so he's rejoicing. But then there's more than the rejoicing, right? There's, there's this idea. Paul, Paul talks about how he is worried that this young church um, in their faith, they might they might get their passion snuffed out from outside influences. So he, he goes on to this bookend thing, right? These bookends. Um, and he talks about the mystery of God and the wisdom that comes with it. Now, in these parts, you're going to see Paul reminding these people that they know what the mystery of God is. Like, you know what this is. And you have wisdom from that, he says. And so that when false teachers come to add to the message of God that they won't believe that it's true. I want you to look at these two sections. I'm going to read them back to back here. So verse 26, chapter 126 says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery, the hope of glory. Christ living in you. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Okay, mystery and wisdom, you see it there. And then chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, the end again, he says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, there it is again, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So Paul starts talking about the mystery of God that has been kept hidden. Okay, it's been kept hidden. And this is very purposeful wording um, with Paul because this word mystery uh, actually, it's, it's brought up a lot in, in different pagan religions, okay? It's, it's very prevalent at, these t- at this time in different religions. The idea here is that most religions had certain information or practices that only a select few group, a small group of people, actually had access to this information or to these experiences. You think of like Buddhist monks who live in temples. They have special access to the enlightenment and all of this. Um, Or you think of Jewish priests back in the day when they are the only ones to enter the holy of holy. They're the only ones who can really experience God's presence. But Paul flips this completely. Paul says this mystery, this forgiveness of Christ, this Christ living in you, the, the power of God, That mystery, it wasn't available to Abraham. The forgiveness was not available to Moses or any of the great prophets. But the mystery is now available to everyone. 
not for a select few. It's not even really a mystery. We want everyone to know that they have access to the all, all the insider information and, and all the holy experiences. And when you experience that mystery of Jesus, Paul says, he will show you all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you will be able to know what is true and what isn't. This is like revolutionary stuff at this time. Paul is including everyone. Like you think of all these different religions, you were either born into it, or you had to pay a big hefty fee, or you had to sacrifice like crazy to get into it. Paul's saying everybody. Rome is this pagan nation, and they have all these mysterious gods where no one really understood why they did what they did, and the Jews are waiting for the Messiah to come and change everything, and Paul is telling these Romans and Greeks and Jews, he's saying the mystery is here. Jesus just, he was here. He lived, he died, he rose again, just like 30 years ago. This happened. You don't have to wait anymore. And Paul uh, kind of concludes the bookends with that. And it leads us into why Paul wrote this part of this letter in the first place. What does this mean for us? What does this matter? What does it matter that Paul rejoices in suffering and he rejoices for these people? And why is he repeating himself about the mystery and the wisdom? Like, why? It doesn't matter. They already know. Well, this is where the middle two verses come in. And this is, I think, the reason he writes this whole section. In chapter 1, verse 29, and chapter 2, verse 1, we see what Paul is trying to convey through this whole section. Listen to what he writes. Verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now at first, you might be thinking, wait, what? These don't sound like profound verses at all. In fact, sounds a little bit arrogant. Paul's up there bragging about how much he's suffering and look at what I'm doing and oh, woe is me, like please give me some pity. But that is not what is happening here. These verses hold something very powerful if we read them in the right way. This whole section, chapter 124 all the way through chapter 2 verse 5, is all about Paul trying to get us to see that knowing this mystery is huge. It's vital. It's massive. It's important. Like, it is a big, big deal. I need you to understand this, Paul is saying. And he's trying to convince us of the importance by basically saying, do you see how important this is? I am willing to suffer. I am willing to struggle. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get this word out to everybody. To the churches I've started, to the people I've preached to personally, but also to you in Colossae, whom I've never met, to your sister church in Laodicea, whom I've never met, and to everyone who I have never met face to face. Everybody needs to know this. It is important. That's why I suffer. And in this whole section, Paul is imploring you, he's imploring me to understand how amazing this mystery really is that has been revealed to us in our time. We are so blessed and so lucky not to have lived before Jesus because we would not have been benefactors at that time of this forgiveness. Now, we don't have to wait for the mystery anymore. We have this mystery because it, it's so centrally important to our very lives and it is centrally important to creation itself. Paul's like, you have to get this. Paul's not just sacrificing his movie or his out-to-eat preferences here. 
like we talked about earlier. He's not just sacrificing a little bit for something that's really not that big of a deal. No, no, no. He's willing to be persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, and even killed for the message of Jesus to be spread to people he's not even met. And that includes you, and that includes me, because we're reading this letter today. I need to say this again so you get it. This is, this is so much more than a parent sacrificing their desires so their kids can be happy. This is Paul willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for people to know the most important message the world has ever heard. To know Jesus so they can spend eternity in a better place with him. This is such a burning desire inside of Paul that he just has to make sure that everybody gets how big of a deal this is. He's so passionate about every single person in this entire world knowing the mystery of Christ that he's willing to do anything. Look at these words, look at these words. To this end, I strenuously contend. Those are powerful words. With all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, I want you to know how hard I am contending. Like, he's laying it on thick here. I'm doing this for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. You see how huge this is? Like, I'm killing myself for this, Paul is saying. Come on, you've got to get this. And I, I totally understand Paul's feeling, what he's feeling and what he's saying here. This is how I feel as a pastor about people in my church, about my friends in this town that don't know him or don't go to church or whatever, about people that in this town or in, in our surrounding communities that I don't know, for people around the world who don't have the opportunity to hear Jesus or aren't following him. Like I have this burning passion, this burning desire. And this is why we do what we do as pastors. This is why we want the whole world to know Jesus. We want to help them know the mystery of Jesus. I'm kind of like almost sounding a little bit arrogant again like Paul. Like this is why we do what we do as pastors. you got to get this. We sacrifice. We suffer. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I need you to understand how important this message is, not just to Paul back in the day, but today, right now, this mystery is key. If you don't know this mystery, there's going to be issues. There's problems. We want to rejoice with every tribe, every tongue, every nation when all of this happens. And I want you to have this type of passion, the passion to know more of Jesus. Paul has such a passion to know Jesus more, but he also has this passion for others to know him. What does it look like for you to have that passion? This should be our heartbeat as followers of Jesus. I think that's Paul's whole point in writing this section. So, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to respond to what we've heard today. This passionate piece of this letter that was written to all people that Paul hasn't met personally. It can and probably does speak to each of us about something different. Music team, if you could come at this time. It speaks something different to each of us, and that's what I love about the Word of God. We read it, and we pick out different things, and even different times we read the same sections, like, oh, I didn't get that last time. And so whatever it is this morning, obviously God is working on your heart. Whatever you're hearing as we're talking about these verses, God has something for you. Maybe for you, 
Maybe you've never heard the message of Jesus delivered so compassionately by a guy like Paul, and you want to have Christ in your life, like verse 27 says. Listen, you can have this. You can have this starting today. You simply believe that Jesus died on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins, and if you pray to him and you tell him you want him in your life to lead your life, he's there. Or maybe this scripture spoke to you about how passionate Paul is about Jesus and his relationship with him. And, and maybe you've been less than passionate about growing in your relationship with God and, and today you want to start going deeper. Or maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe a little, little bit of a fire in you about contending more strenuously for others. We contend strenuously for certain things in our lives that are very important. Right? Look at our Facebook feeds. Whatever the most important thing in our life is, whatever we're trying to get out there to all the people to understand, it's probably going to be on our social media. Like My kids are all over the place. There's different people who sell their different products and it's all over their Facebook page. Like, listen, I'm not saying that's wrong, but if we could just contend more strenuously for others to know Christ as well. Maybe there's people you don't even know that need him. Maybe there's people in your life that you do know need him. What does it look like for you to contend strenuously for them? You know, maybe it's talking to someone, your neighbor, your friend, your family member. Maybe it's reaching people around the world by giving or going so that all may hear. Whatever this scripture verse is talking to you about today, I want us to take a few minutes to reflect, to listen for God to speak and to respond to whatever he is saying in some way, to let him know that we're on board. We want this. I want you in my life, God, whatever that looks like for you. And the band is going to lead us in a song that perfectly, in my mind, represents the mystery of Christ. As you respond, just listen to the words. You can sing them if you want, but the words of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the mystery, what he did for us, is just resounding in this song. So let's respond to him as we sing. Would you please stand? In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Oh, praise the Father Praise the Son Praise the forever 
perfect representation, right? Jesus came, born to a virgin, lived his life here. The Son of God, God himself, comes to this earth, lives so that he can sacrifice, didn't despise the cross. He died on the cross so that we could be made right with God, so that we could have that. And then he dies, dies on the cross, and people think, that's it, it's over. And Jesus is like, oh no, yo, that's cute. You, you, you think it's over? Nice try, Satan. You think you won? Now guess what, buddy? I have power over death too. And Jesus raises from the dead. That is so important. That is so key that we understand. The raising from the dead part is pivotal to our faith. Jesus has power over death. That means when you and I die, guess what? We can be raised again to be with him in heaven. That's the mystery. That's the mystery of Christ, the mystery of God that Paul is imploring us to understand. And if we simply do what the Bible says, if we believe in our heart that, that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we may be saved. We have Jesus living inside of us. That is the mystery. That, that message is powerful. It's the most powerful thing you could possibly ever, ever hear. And, and we need to be spreading that to other people and it's so powerful that we should be growing in our relationship with Jesus. Like this section is, is, is huge. And so if you feel like God is nudging you or, or speaking to you about something this morning, I want us to just simply respond in a, in, a, in a very simple, easy way. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody's looking around, that's okay at this point. If you feel like God is speaking to you about something this morning, I just want you to simply put up your hand. I want to pray for you. So that's me. God's speaking to me. All right. Awesome. 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 Let's pray. God, first of all, I thank you for being a God that still speaks 
and guides us through the Holy Spirit. You're speaking different things to different people, even in this moment, in this morning, through your word. I love how, how you can do that, how you can just speak to each of us even though we're reading the same thing. I pray for those that are, you are calling to a deeper, more passionate relationship with you. I pray for those who are feeling compelled to contend for others more strenuously. And God, for everything else that you're speaking in this place today, please help us to not walk out of here and forget. Don't let us get caught up in all the stuff that life throws at us as we walk out these doors to the point where we don't do anything about what we just heard. All right, we're supposed to do something with your word. Holy Spirit, remind us, keep us passionate, keep us driven. You can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed here. Now this time, I just, I just want us to have a time of privacy and reflection. And I want to pray specifically for some of you this morning because for some of you, God, the Holy Spirit is prompting you to accept Jesus as your Savior, to start a relationship with him today. Jesus wants you to know that you're loved, that, that you have been saved from your sins, not through your good deeds or your, through your works or anything like that, but by him dying on the cross and your faith in him. And if you're not sure that you have that relationship with him today, you can be. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus today, or, or maybe you've walked away from him and you want to start again. like You know you're not right with God and you want to get on track with God. You want to start with him in your life. Again, I want you to simply just put up your hand if that's you. I want to start a relationship or I want to get back on track with God. I've been away from him for a while. If that's you, just put your hand up so I can pray. I see you. Anybody else says, that's me. I want to start, yeah, awesome, awesome, thank you. So good. Anybody else who says, I want this relationship, I want to start this. I want to get passionate about my relationship with Jesus. All right, good. Yeah. We're going to pray a prayer out loud together. These are not magic words. I want everybody to pray it just to help those who raise their hand. They're not magic words, but the Bible does say to confess with our mouth for some reason. It's like, it's like this idea of, of making it real, like really meaning it. It's a commitment. And so if you're praying this prayer and you, uh, you want to start this relationship with God or get back on track, I want you to mean these words with all your heart. So just everybody pray with me. Pray, Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you are my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to start living with you as my Lord and as my friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's, let's celebrate that. That's awesome. Man, so good.